0: Galatians 6. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, or you may also be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks they are something when they're not, they deceive themselves. Each one should test their own actions. Then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else. For each one should carry their own load. Nevertheless, the one who receives instruction in the word should share all good things with their instructor. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked a man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the spirit from the spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in well-doing for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, Let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. See what large letters I use as I write to you with my own hand. Those who want to impress people by means of the flesh are trying to compel you to be circumcised. The only reason they do this is to avoid being persecuted for the cross of Christ Not even those who are circumcised keep the law, yet they want you to be circumcised that they may boast about your circumcision in the flesh. May I never boast except in the cross of Lord Jesus Christ through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. What counts is the new creation peace and mercy to all who follow this rule to the israel of god from now on let no one cause me trouble for i bear on my body the marks of jesus the grace of our lord jesus christ be with your spirit brothers and sisters amen this is the word of the lord
1: Hey, my name is Mark. I'm one of the pastors here. It's great to see you guys this morning on a baptism Sunday, headed into Turkey Week. Excited to, excited to be, here, be here with you. So, my wife Allison and I, um, we recently discovered a brand new show, Hot Off the Presses, that we're, we've become obsessed with. Uh, some of you know where this is going. Well, it's not brand new. It's been running two seasons a year every year since 2001, and it's a worldwide phenomenon, but it's new to us, okay? We are so into Survivor right now, you know, like the 16 people, deserted island, vote each other off one by one, real Lord of the Flies vibe, and one person wins a million dollars. So much so that like today we're going to be talking about restoring a brother who's fallen into sin and I'm just gonna pre-confess right now that I think I've taken my survivor obsession just a little bit too far, but man, I'm telling you, it is a gold mine of human psychology and manipulation and drama and betrayal and emotions. It is just amazing, right? And it's y'all, it's a trend, as I mentioned before, that's blazing through Trinity right now. Like everyone at Trinity is watching it. Well, our whole CG except for Kenny, for some reason, is, is watching Survivor right now, so much so that we're having watch parties after a community group. That's okay. Like, you can, you can have a group around a TV show. And a few weeks ago, uh, there was this great story arc where a t- contestant got blindsided. And blindsided is like a Survivor insider term that I just learned. So like, they get blindsided. And in the, in the episode, Ellie privately comes to the camera, and she's like, I knew I was going to be good at this game, but, man, I didn't know I was going to be this good. Like, I am killing it, and everyone is eating out of my hand right now. And then throughout the entire episode, she has no idea that everyone's plotting against her, and then, bam, she gets voted out, and she's, like, shocked at tribal council. That's where they vote each other out as tribal council. And we're learning all these new terms. And she, you know, she thought she was on top of the game, and actually she was worse off than anyone and it goes without saying, no one wants to be Ellie, to have such a distorted view of yourself that, that it leads to your downfall, right? And, and it makes me ask this of us as well, how do we know that we have a right and true view of ourselves? So that's what we're going to look at today. So today we're wrapping up our time in Galatians. We're doing all of chapter 6 today, and we've been in, in here for a few months, and we've, we've been talking about what it means to live out a gospel culture today. So gospel culture has been our theme throughout this, this book. And, and on the heels of th- this incredible passage in chapter 5 about life with the Spirit that Cam preached on last week, Paul turns the corner and he gets really practical here about what a gospel culture actually looks like, specifically in terms of our relationships with each other. And so today, this is what I want want us to see. Hope in the renewing work of Jesus frees us to humbly and generously love each other. Hope in the renewing work of Jesus frees us to humbly and generously love each other. So for those of you who need a roadmap, humility, generosity, and hope are are what we're looking through today. So first, humility. Paul starts the end of the letter uh, with what seems like a disjointed set of commands, almost like a Dr. Seussian sort of like contradictions. When when we read the passage, it kind of sounds like Paul is saying, help out your brother, but you better watch yourself, but still help each other, but don't forget to do your own job, and then just randomly, and don't forget about your teachers. And it's like kind of confusing on the surface. It took me like a while to, to get into this, but I, I think to see it clearly, we have to interpret the passage through the lens of humility and generosity. So first humility, it's always humility. Humility is always the first one, right? But the only way to humility is actually to be able to fully see ourselves. Um, And it's only God who sees and knows us, and it's only in the security of his love that we can begin to see of ourselves what he sees. True humility, where we think of ourselves properly and, and we think of ourselves less, not less of ourselves, but we think of ourselves less, can only come through the gospel of Jesus. Paul is saying that if someone thinks they are something when they are not, they deceive themselves. And if we fail to understand who we are by the saving work of Jesus, we'll certainly deceive ourselves into pride. See, the true view of ourselves is found in the gospel of Jesus himself, which says that our sin and separation from God is is deeper and more pervasive and more seemingly insurmountable than we could ever know. And that through the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, you are more loved than you could ever imagine, and then you have been raised up to a position that's higher than any other, not because of your own work or your own merit so that you could boast in it, but because you are fully loved and chosen by God himself. This leads to the humility that's at the heart of the gospel culture that we're talking about, one where you love your neighbor as yourself because we can humbly begin to see ourselves as God sees us. Because without humility, uh, we start to become conceited towards one another, as Paul describes at the end of chapter 5. And Paul's command to gently help a struggling brother or sister becomes impossible. If, if we put ourselves in a position of superiority, which, by the way, just we're pros at doing, right? Raising ourselves to a position of superiority, we'll actually soon find ourselves using the struggling person to nurse our own insecurities. Because a person with a superior attitude puffs up their pride when they see another person struggling. Tim Keller puts it like this. A superior person feels as though they have, for the moment, won and continually compares themselves with others to check they are still winning. They continually compare themselves with others to check they are still winning. And Paul warns elsewhere in 1 Corinthians. He says, if you think you're standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. Anyone who thinks he's something outside of Jesus, Paul is saying he needs to watch out. And so what what do we do to combat combat this? Paul gives us some interesting instructions. In verse 4, he says, each one should test their own actions. Then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else. For each one should carry their own load. Now, the individualist inside of some of you, the hyper-individualist inside of some of you is saying, like, yes, finally, personal responsibility. This is what I've been waiting for when we hear this. And it actually kind of sounds like the ethics and culture of our day where we say, you do you, and you take pride in anything good that comes out of yourself, right? But this isn't what Paul is saying, Um, taking pride in your own actions, we, we kind of feel in ourselves when we read this passage, it's contradictory to, to the message of, of Jesus. But, but to understand this, we need to interpret it in light of verse 14. So in 614, he says, may I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul's being a little tricky and possibly a little sarcastic here, and he's saying, those of you who think you're something, don't be deceived. The only thing you have to boast about is Jesus and his cross. You don't bring anything else to the table without him. That's true Christian humility. And it's what unlocks this for us. So when Paul says, one, that we must gently and and humbly restore our brothers who are ensnared in sin, but two, that we need to watch ourselves and carry our own load, we see that both are made possible by the humility that comes from the cross of Jesus. We are free to see ourselves wholly, to assess ourselves honestly, because there isn't any condemnation for us anymore. And Jesus has delivered us from the way of death. And we can help restore others who are carrying heavy loads or who are trapped in the snare of sin without pride, without contempt, because we are not defined by the successes or failures of others. That comparison game ends. Even Paul is combating the Jewish leaders in Galatia that are trying to control the church through the marks of circumcision and keeping the law. But Paul is telling the church that they are free from that to just go ahead and humbly and serve one another in love. We are free by the gospel to see ourselves for what we are, to contemplate our brokenness, and then to shed the burdens of underperformance because we are completely and wholly loved and accepted in the work of Jesus. It's this proper self-view, this humility that allows us to walk and step with the Spirit and then to give generously to others. So generosity, it's, it's only when we've experienced the life-giving humility and freedom that comes from Jesus that we can finally start to live generously. If you look back at the passage and reread it, it might seem surprising but starting in verse 6 and going all the way to verse 10, uh, Paul is actually talking about money. Uh, he has a kind of this way of subtly talking about being generous with your finances. He does this elsewhere in the New Testament, and it's kind of like a let the reader understand moment, uh, but while he's still addressing a broader spiritual truth. And so it starts at verse 6. Nevertheless, the one who receives instruction in the word should share all good things with their teachers. So first, he's giving the Galatians this principle. He's telling them that if someone receives instructions from a teacher, if someone takes the time to share with and help form a student, that students shouldn't withhold the good things they receive as a result of that instruction. But what he's saying, and what's for us, the way we apply this is this is why we pay our church staff. Um, I, I recognize for some of us, and most of actually actually, it can feel strange when we think about giving money to our spiritual leaders. I think there's probably two reasons for this. One, we've seen abuses of greedy and corrupt religious leaders in our own day and throughout history. And so we're wary of falling into a similar trap, to be caught into a corrupt and abusive you know, spiritual relationship that, that has an exchange of money. And rightly so, right? We all are on guard for that. We should be. But second... I think there's like a deeper issue within us that separates our financial lives from our spiritual lives. Right? It's an interesting lie that we believe that somehow uh, money is separate from this from spiritual things. Uh, I know for me, I can almost like physically feel the tension in my brain uh, when I'm trying to cross the path of like taking a spiritual truth and and apply it to a financial reality. Like there's like an actual physiological break in me that I'm like, how do I actually make this journey to like a spiritual truth to something with my finances? What is that? What is that within us? Jesus, who's our main guy, he's talking about money in the kingdom of heaven all the time. And yet it's still so hard for me. There's such a disconnect there. Um, And so Paul, to help us with attention, gives us a picture of what some call the law of great returns, okay? And the law goes like this. let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. You reap what you sow. It's pretty simple. Um, it's such a foundational law of the universe that Paul is telling the Galatians that thinking any other way um, is such a departure from reality that it's, it would be the equivalent of mocking God himself. It would be, it'd be as foolish as a farmer planting tomato seeds and then believing wholeheartedly in their heart that, that an oak tree was going to sprout forth. And Paul is challenging the Galatians to ask themselves if they are following the same sort of deceptive thinking with their money. And we have to ask ourselves, are we? Um, giving and, and financing can be a really uncomfortable conversation for a pastor to have with their church. But you don't pay me, so I feel like I could just let it rip right now on you. Uh, <laughs> Jeremy, I don't know what you do, but I, I, can, I can just let it go. And I have to ask, like, are you, are we, am I, ask, I'm asking myself, are we sowing to please the flesh with our finances? Or am I so in step with the Spirit that how I use my time and my money is oriented to eternity? When I sit down with my wife and, and we make our budget, you know, the things I think about, I think about the investments that I want to make for retirement, you know, what kind of car we should buy next, um, what kind of house we dream about, what we might be able to afford someday. And none of these things are wrong. Like, the, the, we don't believe the lie of Gnosticism that says the physical is, is separated from the material or from the spiritual. But I have to ask myself, am I planting seeds to please the flesh or to please the spirit? I think we all have to ask ourselves those questions honestly and see ourselves as God sees us in humility. Because Christian generosity is actually about patience and humility and selfless giving to others that follows the example of the poor and patient Jesus that we see in the gospel. We all know that the seeds of the flesh that Paul talks about, they can pop up so quickly. You, you make that impulsive purchase and, and you get that return really fast, cheap thrills, Quick satisfaction, right? But the seeds of the kingdom, they take longer to grow. We don't often see the fruits of our sowing in a direct way. We give to the church or a ministry, maybe that serves the poor, uh, but it almost always lacks that immediate feedback loop, those tangible results that we've become addicted to in our day and age. And because the seeds of the kingdom take time, Paul has to tell his people, do not grow weary of doing good. Keep sowing in the Spirit, because at the right time, we'll see the harvest if we don't give up. Many of you, I know, are leading incredibly generous lives. You give faithfully to the church. You live below your means, at least by our culture standards. You're generous with your time and with your giftings. Some of you have given up earnings potential by taking positions at nonprofit, like City of Refuge and the public school system and and My Life Clinic and others when, when you could be making far more at other jobs. But you know, I know that you know that you are giving to a renewing work in this city. Even though you know the harvest won't fully come here and now on this side of the new heavens and the new earth, Paul's message to you, my encouragement to you, Do not grow weary of doing good. The harvest is coming in the new heavens and the new earth. A gospel culture, though, is a generous culture. So really practically, talking about finances again, my favorite topic, actually. When was the last time that you compared your givings to your earnings, right? Perhaps maybe you were tithing like four years ago, but your income has increased and you're giving a stay the same. Like that would be like a really practical thing to sit down with your family and ask if that's true. Maybe you decreased it during COVID or another like hard financial time. Things have turned around and like, uh, and you should, and, and you can sit down and ask yourselves again, like what does generosity look like for my family now? And it's always great for, uh, for me at least to ask for generosity when we don't need it. Okay, so we're not hitting this note today because like we're like drumming up support for like year and giving. We're doing fine. Church doesn't need it, right? We're doing great financially. But Paul and Jesus won't let us keep our financial and our spiritual lives disconnected. They won't let us do it. And so this is actually the the point of this is a is an opportunity for you for spiritual formation. Consider what your generosity, your current generosity, what it reveals about your heart. And ask then the Spirit for guidance. It should be a discussion if you're married that you make together. If you're single, I'd encourage you to talk to people that you trust about it. We're not asking that you that you throw your financials up for everybody to see, but the the, the point is that it is an opportunity, something so potent for spiritual formation that Paul and Jesus don't let us just like keep it aside in as a separate category, but instead it is an opportunity for us to examine ourselves as God sees us and to live accordingly. And finally, then on generosity, Paul says, Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially those who belong to the family of believers. And so this ties us back all the way to verse 1, where Paul says to bear one another's burdens. When we restore our wayward family members and, and we split our load with them, that is the way that we fulfill the law of Christ. But also hear this to be a true part of the community of Jesus means not just to give help but also to receive some of you I know I know you right you are much more you can much more easily give of your money and your time and of your very selves to others but you don't have a category for receiving help you can't imagine someone helping you I recognize it because I'm like typically the same way. Uh, But a few years ago, um, my wife and I went through a really, really difficult season, and we found ourselves um, at the end of a rope way quicker than we could imagine. And for the first time in either of our lives, we were the ones that were actually in desperate need of help. And it was only then that we asked you, our church body, for help. And the generosity of you guys, uh, our church, was greater than we could have imagined. We saw the love of Christ expressed in his body and understood generosity better than we ever did when we were on the giving end. I'm sure Jesus is right when he says that it's better to give than to receive. I'll take his word for it. That's fine. But I will say this. Until you've truly received, it's hard to freely give. Until you've been on the receiving end, it is hard to freely give to others. Some of you, I know you are in need of help and you're so focused on helping others that you can't even see your own need. Paul encourages us to stop and humbly examine ourselves, even as we seek to help others. That's the point of this passage. Some of you need to slow down and ask yourself, is it difficult for me to receive help? To ask for prayer. To ask for healing. To ask someone to watch your kids for you. To ask someone to listen to you. To actually share your real burdens with your community group. Eugene Peterson, as he always does, has some striking words here. If we are a person without needs, we will soon become a person without companions. If we're a person without needs, we will soon become a person without companions. We have to be a church that humbly and generously gives yes, and also that humbly and openly receives help. And how else could we live out Jesus' greatest commandments that we love each other as ourselves? So generosity. And finally, hope. The, the new creation gives us the perspective and hope to continue on living as the community of Jesus. So in verse 14, Paul says, "...may I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. What counts is the new creation." This verse is the summary of the whole of the whole letter. Verse 15, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. What counts is the new creation. He's looking past the old dead things and it's seeing what Christ saves us to. As Paul closes the letter here, he's telling the Galatians that their hope in the renewing and redeeming work way of Jesus is what sets them free from the oppressive weight of the law. They used to be slaves to the law under the yoke of an unmeetable standard and were in, and they were in danger of slipping back under the tutelage of their old master. But there is a better way for us because we don't have to live according to a national identity, a political affiliation, live as slaves to capitalism or or for the approval of others. We don't have to perform even under the weight of the standards that we set for ourselves. We've got the new creation in mind and have been given our own callings, our own loads, our own vocation to be renewing agents in the world We, as Christians, we now know that following the law, not following the law, whatever, doesn't matter. It is the new creation that Christ's kingdom is preparing us for that matters. And it frees us to enter into our spiritual vocations. It's, like, it's just a word used throughout church history for like your specific calling in the body of Christ. It frees us to enter into our spiritual vocations with a perspective that knows the end. We know where we're going, and it allows us to work with humility and generosity and hope. You no longer need to depend on the approval of others. The approval of Christ in a thriving, loving community of Jesus is what matters now. We're free to listen to the Spirit and to enter into the work of sowing seeds in the Spirit together for the renewal of all things. We're free to do that. Paul isn't saying that you're going to be without trouble. He's literally in the letter, he's like listing his physical afflictions. He talks about the emotional pain that was caused by the people that he loves turning their back on him. But he's saying that the cross of Christ has made a way to a better world. He opened the, ver- the letter in verse uh, 4 of chapter 1 by saying what Jesus saved us from. Paul says that he, Jesus, gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age. And he closes the letter by telling us what he saved us to, a new creation with him forever. The way of Jesus, that, that narrow path he tells us about in the gospel, that is the way to the new creation. That's where it leads that day when all brokenness will be restored, evil will be destroyed, and we will reign with him forever in new bodies in the new heaven and the new earth, and we will worship him for all eternity. That is where the road leads that is paved by the way of Christ. And so, as we close, um, I'm reminded uh, of how Paul says in 1 Timothy 9, or in 1 Timothy, verse 9, chapter 4. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. But but he says, But godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. We can't take anything out of this world, and it's that perspective that gives us the hope and humility to be generous then. With one another. This, by the way, is the unfair advantage of the gospel culture, like in a world full of anxiety and striving and hope, because we're free to humbly and generously give to each other and to help each other when we are struggling. Because we are chosen by the Father, we're renewed by the Son, we're empowered by the Spirit to be sojourners in this world. We can travel light on our journey because we know we aren't here to stay. We can safely examine ourselves in humility because we are fully known and loved by God. We can generously give our our finances, our time, our gifts to each other because we are sowing by the Spirit himself and we are holding on for the harvest that we know is coming. And we can ask for help. We can ask others to be generous to us because we now have nothing left to prove. We're going to be baptizing some friends here in a few minutes. And I was struck this week in reading Riley Piper's baptism testimony at how practic- practically and accurately it sums up how freedom in Christ plays out in our lives. So you'll hear this again in a second, but I had to lift it on to, to close this out here. She says this. Just listen to how this sums up what it looks like for us. I have felt the Lord calling me to walk in freedom. Not just from sin but also from both the wounds and blessings of others. He continues to show me the peace and joy that come from trusting in him as the root of my identity and as my salvation. Now that is what we are asking the Spirit to do in us here, to set us free from the wounds and the blessings of others. To, to, to lift the heavy burdens and give us the light and eternal load of finding our hope and our identity in Jesus Christ alone. Christ and his love for us, he has set us free. And now let's seek the spirit to empower us to love each other humbly and generously. That is the road that we're on together. That is, the, that is the vision of this church. This is what I know this is why you want and are a part of this body. So let's ask the Spirit to lead us in that, in that humility and that generosity and in the hope that we have in the new creation. Let's pray. Father, first we praise you for, for choosing us and drawing us into your family. When we were far off, you, you made a way for us by the cross of Christ, and you gave us your spirit to, to, to lighten the load as we, as we pass through this world as sojourners. May we live that contradiction in, of, of presence in this world today, where we are both deeply and wholly tied in with the renewal and the thriving of our communities and of our city and of the world and that we are also free from judgment and condemnation and failure because we are covered by the blood of Christ and redeemed by him and set apart for the new creation that we are, we are working to embody and that we know will come one day. Father, I pray for um, those, of, those of us, all of us in this place that, that struggle with what embodying a financial action does with a spiritual reality father we confess that those things are so separated in our minds that we have so many so, such different categories in our hearts but we pray that by your spirit that you will show us what humility and generosity and hope do for us we ask that you would give us an a open perspective to to following you in our finances. Give us the give us the clarity as we have conversations with each other, um, and uh, pray that you even as we even as we seek to what it means to be generous personally, that you we would always do so, knowing that there is no condemnation for those who are in Jesus, and there is freedom to follow the Spirit in our own vocations and our own calling um, in the way of Christ. So we pray that you would bless this community, you bless these people, Spirit, fill us so that, we can, so that we can be agents of renewal in this world um, as we seek to embody the new creation you have coming. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.